This is Kevin Brooker, and we are cruising through retirement. You know the rules on inheriting a 401k or an IRA are really based on the relationship that you have to the person that passed away. If you make a mistake, it might be near impossible to undo. We're going to help you figure it out right here. Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. Kevin is an investment advisor representative with more than 30 years experience. He's helped thousands of people cruise through retirement, and he'd be happy to help you too. Stick around for today's adventure on Cruising Through Retirement. Welcome in, everybody. This is Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. I'm, I'm consumer advocate. It's easy for me to say, apparently. <laughs> I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Kevin, of course, is a fiduciary and investment advisor representative. Silverleaf Financial is where you find him. Silverleaffinancial.com is the website. 30 years helping folks get to and through retirement. Actually, more than 30 years, but I'll just say 30. How's that? It's- 30 sounds good to even saying, saying, saying it like that makes it sound like a real long time. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> hey, Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's always good to be here, Steve. And uh, yeah, we started in 1990, guys. So wow. uh, 31 years so far and, and counting. And counting. And, and I mean, like most advisors that I know, you're never going to retire. No, you know what? I'm lucky. I don't have, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not running a jackhammer. You know, I'm not, I don't have to get down on my knees and, you know, pound carpet against the wall or anything. So you know what? So I'm I'm lucky. I can, uh, um, you know, as long as I can read everything correctly and you know, and stay on top of things, I plan on doing this indefinitely. All right. Well, I like that. So uh, yeah, we were talking about, or you mentioned the uh, the rule change with you know inheriting a 401k or an IRA, and I know those rules went into effect in 2020, you know, January 1, 2020, but. Right, 2020 doesn't count, and there were a lot of weird things that happened. So it's, let's, oh yeah, let's let's try to break it down because this year people are going to have to face this, um, you know, or really since then, having to deal with the new rules, especially with the non-spouse uh, inherited IRA or 401k. Yes, no, no question about it, no question, and and especially you know, like you mentioned, 20 I, 2020 was just a hopefully a strange year that we'll never repeat again. Uh, but the last year and a half has just been, you know, bizarre on many levels. Uh, and one thing a lot of people I think missed is the fact that the stretch, the stretch, what we used to call the stretch IRA, you know, which, which meant you could stretch the uh, the payments over your lifetime. Uh, that in a lot of ways that's gone, unfortunately. And and the government did it for a very simple reason: is that they want to they need to collect the tax revenue and they don't want to wait for your entire life to do it. They want to get it, you know, over ten years, preferably. Sure. Um, you know, so it was the 2019, they called it the Secure Act, and it really eliminated the ability of you to really do the stretch IRA. And so at this point, uh, the, the general benchmark you want to think about is that in most cases for a non-spouse, okay, for a non-spouse, mm-hmm. you got 10 years is really the period of time that in most cases you'll have to distribute it. Um, there are some little you know provisions in there, you know, for instance, somebody that's chronically ill or disabled, um, and 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 I'm and there is an exemption for people that there's uh, the more than 10 years younger than the person that passed. Okay. Uh, so you'd want to look into those details, folks. But but just be aware that for most for a lot of cases, the stretch aspect of over your lifetime, that's no longer really possible. So one of the things that I'm curious about, I know that before this, I know that a lot of folks, that, that's a way that was a strategy to pass on generational wealth using that stretch IRA. And no so, question. so yeah. again, yeah. that's that's not an option anymore. 
but let's talk about what options there are that maybe can still do something along those lines. And there yeah, really so isn't, is there? There's, there's not, there's really not a lot, you know, it's going to be for most people, it's really going to be just basically which category you fall into. And it's largely based on your age. Um, and you know, obviously if somebody has a chronic illness or a disability, you know, we, we know that right away. Right. And, yeah. and, and so it's, you're, you're either in that situation or you're not. And, and so for most people, it's just a matter of looking at the rules and then you'll know right away. Um, uh, but one thing to, one thing that, that, uh, Typically, what a person is going to do is you're, the first thing you're going to do if you inherit an IRA and you're and you're not the spouse, and I'll and I'll get to spousal inheritance in just a second. Um, but what you do is you open up an account and you title that account inherited IRA, um, and then you you simply transfer the money into that account. But that's when you're going to have distribution rules that you know for the inherited IRA that you need to make sure you're on top of because generally you got to have the money out in ten years, but you don't necessarily have to take it every year. All right, so. So you want to make sure you're working with your advisor uh, or your your tax person or your attorney or whoever might be the most appropriate. But talk you know talk to your sources to figure out what's the best strategy for you because you do have the flexibility that you know what you might say you know what I'm still working for another five years I don't want to add to my income so I'm not going to take anything for the next five years but maybe maybe after that it'd be advantageous for you to take the money out between years six and ten or something mm-hmm. and and so but it comes down to your individual situation right because we want to be tax smart about this right That's we don't want to yeah you know i mean if possible you want to avoid getting knocked up you know kicked up into a higher tax bracket because of a distribution from something like this and these are typically the things that will cause a person to get bumped up into a higher tax bracket is a distribution that they didn't you know they didn't necessarily plan on right sure and 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 so that, that's when you want to talk, make sure you have a conversation with the people that you're working with and figure out the best strategy, you know, to minimize your tax bill. So, Kevin, have you worked, I mean, working with some of your clients, have you had to make changes? Have you had to sort of adapt to this? The, in, in some cases we have, this really comes up more in, in, in like a lot of estate planning, things like okay. that. Okay, all right. Um, well, that makes It's really sense. where it's come up, yeah, more of an issue, uh, you know, and so it's not so much in terms of changing distributions that we already had planned, you know, um, but for new cases, it makes a big, big difference because it, it used to be the case that if somebody, you know, that was, I don't know, 30 years old inherited the IRA, they could stretch it over their lifetime, which, you know, 50 years, 60 years, uh, and now you've got no more than 10. So, so it makes a big difference in the amount of tax deferred growth that a person is going to be able to see. And, and that was by design, right? That's what they wanted to do. Uh, you know, now if you're a spouse, though, if you're a spouse and you inherit that IRA, you can just combine it with your own IRA and then you'll be subject of court. You'll always be subject. I hate to say always as an absolute word, but the way the tax law is written right now, you're always going to be subject to a requirement of distribution. So you combine it. Let's say you're 68 years old and you inherit a spousal IRA. You combine it into your own. And now you've got four more years. You can let it grow tax deferred. And then when you're 72, you have to start planning for your uh, required distributions. Sure. All right. But again, that's that, those law, that change is, uh, I mean, I think folks are still getting used to it and, and a lot of folks probably aren't even aware of it at this point. No, I know a lot of them aren't because I've talked to them. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. All right. So in, in fact, a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that the RMD changed from 70 and a half to 72. Seven, yeah, uh, exactly. It, you know, there's still a lot of people think that they got to start taking at 70 and a half and you don't. You start, it's your choice. You can, if you want to, there's no more penalty, uh, you know, once you pass 59 and a half mm-hmm. for taking money out of your IRA. Right. Um, and we're talking about a traditional IRA, uh, you know, and, and conversely with a Roth, there is no required distribution. However, 
when it's your own, there's no required distribution. In the, in the event of an inherited Roth IRA, that's when we, things start to get a little bit trickier. Okay. okay. And with an inherited Roth IRA, you do have to deplete that account in 10 years, unfortunately, guys. Um, that, you, you don't have to pay any tax on it, right? Because it's a Roth, uh, unless, unless you don't follow the rules um, and you leave money in there. And whether it's a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, money left in there longer than 10 years, you could wind up losing half of because the government's going to penalize you potentially 50% of any Holy remaining balance in that account. That just seems right? really harsh. It is really harsh. But right? it's also and, motivating. And <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very motivating. It's very motivating. I just, you know what? I, I just don't know why they can't treat these things. You know, the, I don't think the penalty should be as high. Let me say it this way. I don't think the penalty should be as high if somebody misses a thousand or 2000 or $5,000 distribution. Sure. Okay. I think it should be maybe five or 10% penalty. If you're supposed to, if you get a couple million dollars in there and you didn't take it, okay, maybe slap a heavy. <laughs> well, that I, that's a whole different ball game. It, it is a different yeah, ball game. Right. I, I, I just think people in the higher scale, higher end of the scale, you know, if, if they get hit with a penalty, they can afford to pay it probably a lot better than a guy that, you know, their person that doesn't have that much put away. So, uh, so nonetheless, but the penalty is pretty stiff guys. So make sure you're aware of the rules. If you're not familiar with rules, just give me a call or, or give a call to your advisor and uh, make sure make sure you uh, you know don't miss any distribution that you're supposed to take. Eight hundred nine seven five six seven one seven is how you can reach out to Kevin. Eight hundred nine seven five six seven one seven. And again, I encourage you to visit SilverleafFinancial.com. You can communicate directly to Kevin through that website as well. So yes, let's, definitely. Def- <clears throat> no, yeah. I, I mean, again, so let's talk about RMDs for a second because. The, the, <clears throat> So 72, and now, you know, there's the Secure Act 2.0, and I know we're going to talk about that in a week or so, but one of the things that, that one of the big changes there is they're going to raise the RMD again. If you that, know what? That I hope they through. do. Well, yeah. I would love to see it go through. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So why is it a good thing? It's a good thing because you get to de- you get to defer taxes that much longer. Okay. All right. right. Well, because, yeah, that, that's the bottom line. It, the bottom line is instead of having to take money out and pay the tax bill at 72, you can wait till 75. So they're, they're proposing 75. Right. And so with that, so that said, yes, you, the money stays in there. It continues to grow. Is that the motivation? I mean, for the, I mean, they want the tax dollars, so they don't mind that it's going to grow for a few more years because they're going to have a higher tax. Well, that's, that, that's a pretty insightful question there, Steve, actually, <laughs> actually, it, it, you know, what would be interesting is to look at the people that are the sponsors behind these bills, because I'm betting it's not the same congressperson that said raise it to 75 as 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 was behind the elimination of the stretch IRA, for instance. Sure. Yeah, because those are conflicting forces, right? Right. Of Competing course. forces. Yeah. On the one hand, they're saying, no, you can't leave it in here that long. And the other hand, say, oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe you can. And 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 so obviously there's a lot of different political viewpoints and economic and there's viewpoint viewpoints across the spectrum on literally everything. I think these days. Well, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's become very polarized. Um, you know, but I think if they're if they do allow the, those plans to continue to grow tax deferred until seventy five, if you don't have a distribution requirement to that point, then I would encourage everybody to wait as long as you can. Yeah. Um, you know, I the, would. The fact you is, know. I, I definitely would, and I definitely I definitely plan to. Um, you, you know, and I think. I think the reality is that if people have, have been diligent and they've and they've been able to save and accumulate some wealth, um, then they typically want to put it off as long as possible. I mean, the majority of my clients, 
they never want to take the money. They plan on, on just leaving it there for anything they might need in the future. And if not, then they'll leave it to charity or their kids or something like that. But the majority of them, they only take what they have to. In other words, what the government requirement, they take that minimum. Yeah. That's what they take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people in, on the lower end of the economic scale, they're probably going to start tapping these accounts when they're 60, 62, 64, 65, um, you, you know, because they need the money to live off of. And, and, and so you, you have to do what, what, what your situation forces you to. Um, but for the folks that are my clients, uh, and, and I, what I would recommend to everybody is to try to maximize the period of time you can leave it in there because it's going to grow tax deferred. You, you, we've seen all, I'll see in the studies that show you wind up with a lot more money if you put off paying the tax bill and you leave that money alone. Absolutely. Well, you know, you talked about, we talked about the Secure Act and then the Secure Act 2.0, but the Secure Act, when that went through, that was the, I mean, that was bipartisan down to the wire. I mean, there weren't but a handful of people against it, literally a handful. And so that tells me that no matter what side of the political fence you're on, you're in favor of these, of the Secure Act, you're in favor of these kinds of things to sort of rein it in because they're trying to, I mean, obviously, there's a tax bill that's got to be paid here. I mean, there's there's bills that have well, to be paid, and that's how it's gonna that's how it's gonna be accomplished. The 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 bills definitely yeah they definitely have to be paid. And, I, and personally, on the on you know we've had, we've ran into this conversation again in this in this nonsense out of Washington again that I call it is this you know so called debate on raising the debt limit. Um, yeah. It, 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 that's, that's such a joke, guys. That's that's a joke. Okay, because seriously. Does anybody really want the U.S. to default on any of our payments? No, in other of words, not. Does that, in other words, guys, do you want them to not send out Social Security checks? Do you want them to not pay the military? That's what we're talking about. I know. It's and just do, so. Do you want them to not pay their payment that you know, all, the, all these foreign governments around the world, institutions, insurance plans, pension plans, all of them have money in the United States markets. And if we default or are late on a payment, that that's your... I mean, I can't even believe it's an issue. I can't believe that anybody even thinks about it and that they that they're sink so low to use it politically, because the fact of the matter is 97, 98 percent of the debt on, on the books in Washington is from previous administrations. Right. OK, let's not try. Let's remember, this is not all the current administration. OK, this <laughs> well, no, it's not. It goes back, what, three or four or five administrations for several administrations. Right. Yeah. I think I, I think back in Clinton, I think under Clinton, we actually had a balanced budget. Yeah, and, I believe that's the last uh, time. I think it was like 25 years ago, yeah. um, you, you know, so it's been all of them, all of them, you know, yes. the, the, they, they've all ran up the debt. They've all ran up the bills. And the fact is, these are, these are, these are monies that we're not talking about borrowing now. This is money we've already borrowed. We've already borrowed. We've already borrowed it. And there shouldn't be anybody even sitting around at all. And personally, I think Congress should pass some laws that eliminate this ever occurring again, because it's a joke. We're the richest country on the planet. And we're having these conversations. It makes us look like it just makes us look. It, it, <laughs> just I just don't look. even think they should. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just. It's just. I think it's horrible. So it's you horrible. know, last week, Kevin, we were talking about uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and the like. And then this week, I read a story about the Fed dollar, and the, they're proposing that that could be something that we could go crypto. Is that something that you've heard? You, you know what? I'll, I, you know, I actually am not following that that closely. Um, there, there's a lot of talk about the cryptos, but I don't, I don't focus too heavily on it because I, have, as we talked about last week, there's a lot of it that I don't understand, and I can't, and I can't, and I've, let me say, it, I'll, I'll say, I've, I've yet to meet anybody that can make a solid and compelling argument for why this is something that's truly going to last. In other words, will crypto be here five years from now? Will it be here ten years? It, it looks like it will be. It uh, looks like but it. Are but... you willing to? Are you willing to stake your financial future on it? No. 
That's just me. No is the answer for no is the answer for me. And what I what I was suggesting last week for anybody that might be interested in it, maybe put in one percent of your portfolio, maybe two percent of your portfolio. So if you got a half a million dollar portfolio, you've got all your bills paid off, you've got no debt, you got plenty of cash flow coming in every month that covers all of your bills, and you've got discretionary money. You got a half a million discretionary money, meaning you can afford to lose it and it won't hurt your lifestyle. Maybe take five or ten grand and put it in crypto and leave it alone for the next several years, uh, if that's something that makes sense to you. Um, but personally, I think it's very hard to make to make a fundamental argument for why anybody should own crypto um, for anything other than speculation. Because it's cool, it's leading edge, it's fun. It's <laughs> but I mean, you know, again, Bitcoin this week took a huge dive. Oh, God, it's crazy. You know what that thing, Bitcoin moves can have, I don't know how many 10% movement days it's had, but it's a bunch. It's <laughs> a, bunch, a bunch. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, all right. I mean, it's, it's you know, that'd be like the stock market, you know, going up or down five, what, 5,000 points in one day or something. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's it, it would make everybody say, holy cow, it'd be front page headlines. Uh, but it's normal. It's par, it's par for the course with Bitcoin and with all the other, with the other cryptos too, whether, whether you're talking about you know, there's there's Ripple and there's Ether and or they might call it Ethereum and yeah. there's Dogecoin and there's guys there. The last time I looked, there was well over 100 different cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you, you know, so the other thing that I struggle with is, OK, yeah, Bitcoin gets all the press today. But there's a lot of talk that like Ether or Ethereum, depending on what, how you call it, that it's better for transactions than Bitcoin. And but I but I I'll admit I can't give you the argument. I can't explain logically why one is better than the other. And I can't see how, you know, it's not fully widely accepted enough. You know, you can't um, go ever some places you can use it to pay for things. Other times they come out like there was a rumor Walmart was inaccepted. Then I found out that was, that was, you know, fake. And, and so, so to me, it's a very speculative area. So I wouldn't go too heavy in it unless it's, you know, purely, purely money that you would put, you would put on the, uh, maybe it's money you put on the craps table. Maybe that. You okay. Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise and create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717, or just text SILVER to 21000. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time, can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717, or text SILVER to 21000. That's SILVER to 21000. Do it today. Well, speaking of 
of gambling, let's talk about the market for a couple of minutes, and because that has been what a roller coaster this week. I mean, I, you know, people uh, were the first part of the week I, when I was reading. Oh my gosh, this is it! This is it! But I was like, no, oh, it's yeah. not. <laughs> it's crazy! It, it's crazy! I'll tell you. But any, anybody that's been listening to the show, I'll tell you, I have from a trading perspective uh, in my trading account that we call Pure Growth, I have had a bigger cash position lately. Because I I, it, I saw the volatility coming, and it looked like we were going to have these drops. It turned out to be correct. We did have those drops. I don't think anybody expected us to have, what, 800-point rally back in the last two days or something. Well, yeah, because um, you said before the show that the market today is, you know, after the a crazy week, it's where it was last Friday. It's basically right where it was last Friday, right? That's amazing. And, and how is it? And how about if, if, so guys, if you're watching this every day, it could drive you crazy, right? Up 500, down 500, you know, but the truth is, look at last Friday, the S&P 500 is basically at the same point it was last Friday, right? So if you, so that's when I, that's why I say with crypto, because it's so much more volatile than the stock market. I mean, probably magnitude of four or five times more volatile than the S&P, I'd say. Um, that's why I say, if you're going to put money in crypto, don't pay attention to the price. Because it, it's all over the place, and 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 it could drive you crazy. Yeah. And so, if you're doing something like that, that's why to me it's best to say, you know what, I'm going to put an X amount of money, and I'm going to leave it there for so many years. Five. In my in my suggestion would be at least five years for for crypto. Okay. Um, maybe ten. Maybe ten. All right. I'll, I'm fine with that. You know, but it can't. But it can be like gambling. So just that's why I say make sure it's money you can afford to lose. And who knows? Like I talked about last week. You know, if you'd avoid, we, I was talking about the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is uh, the symbol yeah. is GB, GBTC. And and I this is not a recommendation to be clear. Um, but if somebody had, I did the math last week. And if you'd put $5,000 into this thing, you know, roughly five, was it five years ago? I mean, that grew to over 600 grand. <laughs> okay, 120, 120 fold return in about five years. Now, obviously, nobody knows what, you know, whether that's going to happen going forward. But that's why I say it might be worth it because who, who knows if, I mean, if Kathy Wood is right, the woman that runs the ARC funds, she's saying Bitcoin's going to a half a million, which is, which is about a 12 bagger from here. Whew. So if you guys, if anybody remembers Peter Lynch, the guy that ran Magellity Fund, I think yes. he was the first, he's the first person that I ever heard use the phrase 10 bagger. Cause that's, that's what he always wanted from a stock. He's looking for a stock that gets him 10 times returns. And, uh. So anyway, 12, 10, 12 times your money is a nice return, I think, in anyone's standards. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So when we were, you, you talk about the market and, and the losses that, that we saw this week, but if you were in the right kind of annuity, you would not have lost a dime. No, you, that, and that's a great point. And that's exactly what, what I wanted to mention is, is you know, uh, annuities get a bad rap, I, I, in my opinion, in a sure. lot of ways. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of folks lump them together. Um, you know, as, as though they're all the same. And the fact is they're not there. There's a lot of variation. There's a lot of differences from one to another. Some of them are bad. Some of them are lousy places to put your money. And I want to remind everybody that's just like everything else in the world. Okay. In other words, some cars would be really lousy places to put your money because they're lemons. All right. Or they got terrible track record. They got, mm -hmm. they got horrible maintenance issues, right? Some stocks are pretty lousy places to put your money. All right. Because you could lose your shirt on them. Right. Uh, for any number of reasons. So, so let's remember, just, it's just like everything in the world. Some are good, some are bad. And, and so what we want to do is we want to find the good ones. And the good ones in the annuity space, in my opinion, are what are called fixed index annuities. And so they go up when an index goes up, but they don't lose money if the index loses money. 
And so if the market, so in other words, the market could get cut in half, guys, and the money that you have in, in a good index annuity, all right, you wouldn't lose a dime. You wouldn't lose a penny, all right? And then the next year when the market comes back, that annuity is going to make you money again from day one. Whereas if you're actually in the market and you took a 30 or 40% loss, you need like a 50% gain, right? Let's say, let's say, does everybody know that if you took, if you took uh, 40% loss, you put a hundred grand into something, now it's worth 60. You took a 40% loss. Now you need, what is that? A 67% gain Yeah. to get back to, to get back to break even, right? Mm-hmm. The beauty of the annuities that I like are the ones that reset every year. And so if you do have a losing year, your, your cost actually resets wherever the market is. You don't have to make anything back because you didn't lose anything. And so now, you know, like let's, if the, if the market went from a thousand to 600, that person lost 40%, but the guy or the woman in the index annuity at 600, they'll start making money again. That's, so I can that's remarkable. And, and there are a number it's, of those available? There are, there are. But again, you got to work with somebody that's familiar with these and that, and, and uh, has access to a lot of different companies because, you know, these change month to month. One company, it's just like a bank running a special on a CD, okay? Where one month, maybe, the, maybe one bank will have the best interest rates and maybe another month it's somebody else, right? Because they're trying to compete for your business. And the annuity companies do the same thing. They're issued by insurance carriers and they're doing the same thing, competing with each other for your business. So some months they'll have better offerings. And what you want to work with is a person that stays on top of those changes, which is what I do because these things change every, they can change every week. And so you really got to stay on top of it to make sure you're getting the best terms so that you can see good returns. And by that, what I mean, I can show you contracts that if you own them for the last 10 years, you made about 8% average annual returns, 8% with no fee and no risk of a loss due to the market. All right. Sign me up. You know, I think that's I think that's a solid return. I think yeah, I think if I can make seven or eight nine percent uh, without market risk, I think that's a very very solid return, especially when we're talking about you know U.S. bonds being below two percent. Exactly. Well, and so, again, so, those those annuities that and especially with the market the way it's been really the last ten years, it, it, this is a good time to be in those things. It's a great time to be in them. And, and you know what, to me, it's to me, I, I like thinking of them as a different asset class. Okay. And, I, and I've mentioned this before. All right, guys, your typical portfolio, you know, I've met a lot of people that have the 60, 40 portfolio uh, and that's 60% stocks, 40% bonds is a traditional allocation. And then usually as people get older, they go more towards 50, 50, you know, half stocks, half bonds. And then maybe as they get, maybe as they get a little older, maybe they're at 60% bonds and only 40% stocks. And the idea is to lower the amount of risk you're taking as time goes by because you, you don't have as much time left to make up any potential losses, right? And so you got to think, though, when those, when those uh, parameters were set, when they came up with a 60-40 portfolio, that was like 30, 35, 40 years ago or something, interest rates on bonds were far higher than they are now. You could make 6 or 7% on a bond back then. Now you're lucky if you make 2 all right? So if you've got half your portfolio in bonds making less than 2%, I mean, how, how much of a return do you need on the other half, on the stock side of your portfolio to give you a decent return? And, and, and my point is that maybe what you do is you think about substituting something like an index annuity for the bond portion of your portfolio. All right. Now, I know it's not exactly the same. All right. Um, but they will perform differently and we can allocate it to different indexes than you might be allocated to with your stock portfolio. All right, so I can give you more diversification in other indices. It could be global as well as domestic. 
and, and we can have exposure to other areas in the market without taking the risk of a loss. And I think, I tell you what, there are some research studies that have done this and, and using index annuities and bonds in a portfolio, like a 60-40 stock to bond, we do 60-40 stock to index annuity, okay? And the studies show that the uh, portfolios using index annuities would outperform the bond portfolio because the interest rates are below 2%. So it's really something you should take a look at and consider because it might make sense for your situation. All right. Well, again, that's an easy thing to follow, folks. And, and Kevin would love to be able to help you if you've got questions, if you want to know some more, if you if we piqued your interest. 800-975-6717 is certainly a way to reach out. And, and I'll mention the website again, SilverleafFinancial.com. I mean, you make it pretty easy to connect with you, Kevin. Uh, I'm thank you for that, Steve. I certainly I certainly try to. And guys, but please check out the website. You know, we try to keep it fresh. We try to put new articles and new information out there every week. Um, we we put the podcast up there every week. We also put other articles. We've got a blog and IRAs. There's a lot of resources. We've got videos. There's all sorts of things. You know, so you can read, you can listen, or you can watch. Or all of the above. All of the whatever above. Yeah, exactly. Whatever, whatever you prefer. And it's, I mean, and again, it, like you said, it, it's constantly being updated. You're, you it, must yes. spend a lot of time doing that. <laughs> well, luckily, I've got some good people that work with me. I that, uh, get it. Know. Yes, of course. <laughs> that can, that can take, help me take care of all these things. Uh, you know what? We are. We work really hard to try to keep it updated and keep it fresh with, with relevant material. And the nice thing about websites and podcasts is you can look at, look at them, check them out, listen to them on your schedule, right? It's not like a, it's not like a radio show or a television show uh, that's on at a certain time. You know, I guess with DVRs and digital recording and everything, you can manipulate that too. But sure. What do we call that? Time, time shifting? I think time shifting. It. There you go. I like it. Yeah. Time, yeah. Time shifting. So yeah, at your convenience, check it out 24-7. They're out there. Feel free to look at it. And I would encourage you to do so. Sure. And again, you know, so you're talking a little bit about annuities and how they're oftentimes misunderstood. So where did that come from? What's the basis for the confusion or the negative feelings it's, that people have about them? Uh, well, there, you, you know, one of them that's a big misperception is that a lot of folks still think like like back in the day, I'm talking maybe 25 years ago. OK, um, if you if you wanted to get a lifetime payment from an, an annuity contract, you had to annuitize that. And that was pretty much irre irreversible. You know, once you did it, it's done. You can't change it. Uh, and a lot of companies, the way they did it is they would pay you an income amount. But when you when you died, it's gone. There was right. nothing left for a right. nothing left for a benefit for a benny, a beneficiary. Uh, so a lot of people still have that perception, but it's but it's not the case anymore. Right. Okay. Now there are some cases where that will be that would be the situation, and it's very important you work with somebody that knows what they're doing uh, and can steer you in the right direction. But the majority of them now, the majority of them, uh, you could set up if you want lifetime income, you could do that. Uh, that's you. There's usually a fee involved with that. You're paying a fee on that rider, and I question whether it makes sense for for everybody to to pay that fee. Um, you know what I like to do a lot of times? I like to do the, put the uh, put the money into the annuity contract and just take the free withdrawals, and that way I don't have to pay a fee for a lifetime rider. All right. Um, you, you know, but it's but it's not the exact same thing. Yeah. Okay. So so so, but where these things came from? You know, back back in the day, people did there was uh, variable annuity contracts were really the only game in town. Like in the '90s, if you wanted stock market exposure, index annuities didn't exist uh, very widely at all. Um, but in, so what you, what a lot of folks would do is the variable annuities and variable annuities are the contracts that have what are called sub accounts inside of the contract. And those are like mutual funds where you can, where you can build a portfolio 
uh, of these subaccounts inside of the variable annuity, but these are the ones that usually have the highest fees. And some I've seen some variable annuity contracts that can have total fees, you know, uh, going north of four percent, you know, because they've got mortality expenses, they've got you know rider expenses, they've got subaccount expenses, they got admin expenses, they got a lot of expenses built into them. All right, and it's but it's just like everything, you know. If it makes sense for your situation and and those benefits are worth paying for, then maybe it's worth paying for it, you know. But um, you want to just be aware of it, right? I say information is, is is a wonderful tool because the more information you have, the better decision you ought to be able to make. Right. And so, so that's what I try to do is get the best information for everybody. Um, but I rarely, rarely would recommend a variable annuity uh, because I can usually do what they're trying to do for a lot lower expense. Well, all right, I like that. And you know, a friend, of, uh, an advisor friend of mine, uh, rather than he calls the annuitizing that he calls it annuicide. A new aside. Because <laughs> you give it all away. You're, you're done. You know, I, I, yeah, I like that. I like that. I mean, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't want to do that. And that's why it's really important, you know, uh, to take a look at it, check it out, make sure you understand all the details. All right. And, and it, the other thing is, you know, all annuities do not offer lifetime income. They don't. Um, a lot of them do, but not all of them. And a lot of them have fees, but not all of them. You know, that's why I, that's why I started off saying there's a big, big, there's a big, big uh, ocean of possibilities out there uh, in the annuity space. And, and so what I suggest, like everything else, have a conversation, talk about it, do a little bit of research, see if it might make sense for you. But don't just write it off without checking it out first. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you do that. All right. Fair enough. So you mentioned uh, your the, the Pure Growth Fund and, and uh, the Pure Growth. That's your that's your thing. Um, so yes. give me a little update on that. I mean, I know you said you had more of a cash, you know, you're more of a cash presence recently just because of the market volatility. Yeah, we, we, we did. I increased the cash position. I'm in about I'm in about half. Actually, about half of that account is cash. And, and understand, guys, this is only for, from a trading perspective, um, because this is a trading vehicle where a typical hold can be anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of months. So um, that's the strategy that I've been employing with Pure Growth. And, I've, and I started doing it last year, uh, a little over a year now. And the reason I did it was to show folks that, uh, that, I, that I, uh, I believe I have a very valid and a very credible stock picking system. And so I did it to show that uh, the research that I'm using to choose these stocks uh, generally does a good job in picking the winners. Uh, but I'm still wrong about one time out of three. Uh, our batting average is about 65 uh, or 650, I guess, if you, you know, batting okay. average. Uh, about two out of three, we're right. One out of three, I've been wrong so far. Um, you know, but uh, year to date, we're up 36, almost 37%, 36.9. Sure. Uh, is our net return year to date as of today's close um, for calendar year 21. Uh, but right, but we've, but we made most of that. In all honesty, we made most of those gains in the first four or five months of the year, and the last few months has more been treading water. So I started increasing the cash cash uh, position because it did look, and there were a lot of signs pointing that we were going to have these drops, which we did. Um, but we, I don't know how many people expected. I don't know if many people expected this quick bounce back. Um, so that portfolio is in cash because I try to be more tactical with that with that portfolio. But if you've got long term money, you're putting away for retirement, your four hundred one k. Stick with your plan. Keep on doing that. Keep putting the money away, preferably every month where you just buy more every single month. And I would stick with that strategy. That's not the same as I'm referring to here 
uh, just to be clear. On okay. The, Understood. On portfolio. Understood. 800-975-6717 is the number. Uh, silverleaffinancial.com is the website. You can reach out to Kevin either of those two ways. And boy, uh, what a week. It's uh, it's just kind of been a crazy week, uh, but things seem to be, I don't know, coming back to some kind of normal. Up and down. They do. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's crazy. And yeah, and we had, you know, Powell and the Fed, the Central Bank had their meeting again this week. Yep. And so, so that seems to be a catalyst for this movement, the, the action today. They finished their meeting yesterday. Uh, the market started to rally, you know. Uh, ba- basically, when they're talking about they're, they're going to be tapering, you know, their bond purchases, they're buying like $120 billion a month in bonds. And that means they're going to back it off to maybe 75 or $80 billion a month. Um, but it's going to continue for the next several months through like June or July, at least, I think. And, and so that's really what the market seems to be go- rallying off of. Is is that there's no big changes coming anytime soon, uh, and and they're also talking about getting another big deal done in Washington. So so who knows, guys? Be careful out there if you are looking to add fresh money. Just do it gradually and try to take advantage of these down days. All right, fair enough. Well, so uh, how do you feel about uh, you know we're coming into October? Uh, you know that I mean that's a big month as well. I mean that's the month that yeah. Um, and when I say that, I mean from a retirement planning standpoint, October seems to be the time that that people really need to sort of take and assess what they've got, what they need, what do they need to do before the end of the year. That's really what what you hope to accomplish, I would think. It it is. You know what? And that's and that's a really good reminder um, to take a, to take a look at those things. You know, and part of it is it, a lot of times. A lot of it's tied to tax time, which a lot of folks file their tax returns and they get money in April. Yep. And a lot of folks put money into like six month CDs and thing you know comes up in October. Um, you know, so a lot of it's tied to, I think to tax time, but but also October. You know, we're going into the final quarter of the year. It's a it's a good time to take a look and see where you're at. Check out where you're at from a tax standpoint, a tax liability standpoint. Um, and and I tell you what, one thing I would take a, give some serious consideration to you guys is whether it would make sense for you to convert more of your traditional retirement money to Roth, okay? Uh-huh. Would it make more sense to do it now, this year, under current tax code, if you think tax rates are going higher? Do you think tem- do you think any Democratic tax changes, okay, let, maybe some Republicans sign off on it too, but you know we know how it's generally going. Um, and, and, and you know what, I, I'm actually going to applaud the Democrats for wanting to raise taxes on the rich, okay? I say, go ahead, do it. They're rich. They can afford it. And, and, and at least if we're going to, if you're going to spend three and a half trillion dollars on infrastructure, whatever you call it, how about we find out how you're going to pay for it too. All right. And so, so I'm hoping that what they're going to do is actually going to pay for these, these other programs that, you know, these other spending programs. Um, But at the same time, take a look if it's going to impact you. If maybe you pay higher taxes next year or two or three years from now, maybe it would make sense for you to convert more of your retirement money to a Roth this year. And now's the time to be checking that out and figuring it out. Fair enough. All right, folks, if you've got any questions, 800-975-6717. Kevin, as always, it's a pleasure. Oh, Steve, great. I really appreciate your help and uh, your insight. And guys, thank you very much for listening. I hope you find it useful. Provided this for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. The covered material has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. There are risks associated with every type of investment vehicle. Please read the prospectus and risk disclosures thoroughly before investing. Insurance guarantees are subject to the insurance company's ability to pay. Neither Silverleaf Financial, Kevin Brooker, host, and guests are responsible for the usage of information discussed. Security and investment 
investment security and investment services offered through Silverleaf Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Please consult with an experienced advisor before making any investment decisions.